Hey, hey, Podnutkins. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 231. My name is Door to Door Geek. This is a podcast all about Linux, uh, nothing about enterprise Linux because that's drab, boring, mundane. Interesting tangent. Mundane, I believe, was the origin of the world meant everything in the universe. We changed that from being everything glorious in the universe to being mundane, boring, weird. How language changes over time. Uh, well, something else that changes over time is me and Bruce. How are you doing, Bruce? Doing pretty well tonight. How about yourself? Uh, doing fairly, fairly well. I will say just a brief catch-up from last week um, on the uh, sports ball thing. Number one, uh, congratulations. I believe your team won. Did they? Uh, well, I know a fan won because they almost got hit by a train after leaving the stadium, I believe. And then a BART employee dragged them off of the off of the um, subway like track literally uh, like a split second before they got ran over. <laughs> well, let's see. Well, then we're talking about Raiders Chargers. I guess you're right. We got two. We beat them by two points. I'd like to celebrate it, but you know, it's the Raiders and they beat the Chargers. You know, I couldn't shrug my shoulders any harder right now. Well, I'll just say. Being formerly in the having a team in the same division as the Raiders, I did enjoy any time we beat somebody in our own um, uh, like conference, but it really wasn't spectacular because we didn't have great teams. It seemed like one of the things that I do hate most about today's NFL is is uh, parody because it is only a letter away from being parody. And, um, you know, again, when uh, growing up and enjoying football of the 70s, you know, for me, it was much better. Of course, I can say that the Raiders were freaking dominant then. But um, as time has gone on, maybe not so much. Uh, but I, I, I really don't like the fact that any team can win any day. It's, that's just garbage to me. Uh, um, that's why sometimes I look at New England, and I don't hate them as much, but, you know, again, they are the Patriots, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't like them because they're the Patriots, but I liked the fact that I could ignore football for a full two, three years, turn the TV on, and I know what to expect when they're on TV. Um, and I was correct last week, I will say, before the game started between the um, uh, Baltimore Ravens, Patriots, I said, for the Ravens to win, they're literally going to have to have over 30 points, um, and they're basically just going to need to like shock and all the Patriots' D in just doing things that they're not accustomed to, and the Patriots did, in fact, lose. I was kind of impressed. Uh, you know what? I, I have to tell you, I wasn't surprised. Uh, Jim Harbaugh always has a way to beat those guys, and, uh, you know, they put together a good game plan. They executed their defense has always been nails tough and uh you know again i think when uh, new england gets a little full of themselves they need a game like baltimore because the thing is is that it shows them that uh hey you take a team lightly in this league and you do find yourself losing and better the, for them to lose in the middle of a season right now where they'll clearly win their division but you know what it's something to think about when they head to the playoffs yeah, and I will say he reportedly did say before the season this team is built to beat Pittsburgh and to beat the Patriots. Um, but he, I mean, here's my thing: I love how blindly ignorant everyone 
seems to be when fandom comes into play. And what I mean is, and we're don't worry, we're gonna, we're going to get back to the next people. But um, we watched the football game, and I'm thinking to myself, we've seen this show over and 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 over again for like 40 years in the NFL. A quarterback comes up. He does things differently than the average quote unquote quarterback. He has different talents and abilities than the average quote unquote quarterback. But then seemingly 99% of the time within a year or two, the rest of the league then has him figured out. And then he turns into a perfectly um, mundane uh, quarterback all, all over again. And, and that's why I think it's going to happen to this guy in uh, Baltimore where less than 18 months from now, people aren't even going to know his name anymore. Oh, that's actually a bold statement. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but we'll see. I'm, I hope because he is an exciting quarterback. I mean, uh, there are folks that already have that tag around their neck, and we're looking at uh, Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. Holy cow, his days are certainly numbered as they should be. He's had plenty of time to blossom, but boy, makes the dumbest decisions on the field. All right, and that's why I say what I said about this guy. The odds are... You know, he's going to need a lot of things to go right in order for him to continue to be a superstar for the next, you know, three, four years or whatever. It's not easy. He needs to make all the right choices, number one, but he also needs all the things to go his way, like no injuries. Um, so I, I think the odds are against him. We'll see what he does. Um, I still am like completely disinterested when I watch a football game because the penalties and the way that the players have to. Tip, tippy toe around everything is kind of uh, not enjoyable to watch. Well, and I'll leave it with this one last thing, too. Uh, what really surprises me, though, are, are teams that, um, for whatever reason, have lost their magic overnight. And I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, for example, the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, my God. They have not been the same team after they were literally, they took themselves out of the Super Bowl against the Patriots. That team has not been together since. And then um, another team that seems to have uh, – what happened to the Rams? I mean, these guys are supposed to be the next world beaters out there, but holy cow, they look they look like they're zombies now. Yeah, it's like Mojo just vanished from them. Uh, well, anyway, um, we get to the, the viewer mail. Uh, I will tease something for next week's show as well. Uh, I went to the Boston Security Summit. Uh, this past Wednesday, which was really interesting. A couple of things that I think uh, I'm looking forward on uh, reporting with a little bit more coherence is uh, how uh, security is using AI. I know it's a buzzword, and I hate it when that happens, um, but when I see it applied in such a unique way, I am blown away by it. So I'll I'll give you more details on that. And then uh, a new Chromebook that's coming out that uh, is anti uh, is uh, virus proof, and the reason for that is that um, uh, it can't write to the system files on this OS. Uh, it does a quick hardware check on boot up, which takes all of six seconds. And if there's one wrong in that chain, um, meaning it the motherboard's not the same, uh, a chip has changed, uh, any aspect of the hardware has changed um the os is going to know it and it will refuse to boot up so i'll look forward to giving you guys the details on that next week 
Yeah, that's that's been I'll say this. That's been in the Chrome operating system for a little while. I don't think every Chromebook does it, though. And I will say because you need dedicated uh, chips for this to happen. Yeah, it, it it does checksums during boot processes along the way. It actually does three of them, I believe. And if any of them are inconsistent, it basically nukes and paves that part of the operating system. In the short of it to the Linux weenie out there, the basic Chromebook, I want to say, have has an average of between 8 and 14 partitions on their hard drive where stuff is isolated and separated out. Um, and the beautiful thing, I hate to say it like this, about the Chrome OS is once you sign in, it syncs your history, it syncs your bookmarks, it syncs your extensions, it syncs all of these things. So even if it does a nuke and pave, when it comes back to the fresh OS, it takes less than like two minutes typically for it to download all the extensions and all the con- all the con- all the configuration and give you back your normal experience. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of things that Chrome OS does really right. It's just sad that it's not the type of system that other people have been able to also use. Well, Chromebook is also. I mean, I think uh, limited by its hardware, which, you know, this is something that has plagued uh, the Chromebook and then the early round of the netbooks. The netbooks, I could never understand. I want a, I want a three and a half inch screen with a processor that could barely open up a document, but, but it will give you all this to support all the porn downloads you could want. You had me at porn. Um, I will say to the people who are <laughs> watching the video on YouTube. Um, right here next to me is my, uh, triple E Asus PC, which is like three times thicker than the average phone today. This thing is gigantic in comparison sake. Um, the beautiful thing about a Chromebook is it's so like finely specced to only do what it needs to do, which is run a browser. Um, as long as you don't do insane things in the browser, your normal 250 ish Chromebook will do everything you need. If you really are a heavy user, if you go up to $400 in a Chromebook, uh, you will always be satisfied. As well. I, I, I will say I've owned um, multiple Chromebooks. I had the original CR48 um, Chromebook flips, Dell's like uh, business editions. They all just run really surprisingly well. And, and every time somebody says that they, you know, what kind of a laptop should I get? I literally first, first question out of my mouth is, well, can you tell me why a Chromebook wouldn't meet your needs? Because it will cost a lot less money. It's a lot more secure. You don't got to worry about windows viruses. So let's first try to rule this out. Yeah, for me, though, the one big stickler is is because I come from the past. I like to hook up my printer via USB instead of wireless. That's the biggest problem for me in Chromebooks. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's such a minor one. There are ways around it. You can obviously, you know, set up cloud printing, which, of course, would send the print job up to Google's cloud and then ultimately back down to Earth and, you know, print on your local printer. But I don't think Google really needs to see everything. I. Yeah, I will say that that has been a long ongoing gripe about Chromebooks. There is ways, I will say this, there is ways in Chrome OS you can wirelessly connect locally to printers. And there are ways you can even, I want to say, Bluetooth connect in Chrome OS to local printers. Uh, to have a dedicated USB cable to go from a Chromebook to a printer, um, 
I do believe you need to have the education version of Chrome OS in order to get that done. Um, and it's a like a tangential thing. We were talking about security, uh, Google Chrome OS. Um, here's one of their things. It was the very last link um, in the email I sent to Bruce, um, which apparently I might not be. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, which is um, we've heard of from uh, Google, we've heard of Titan, Titan key Titan, And I've literally seen it now because I've been in a couple meetings with uh, Google representatives and I love being in meetings with Google representatives. It gives me a chance to punch them right in the face because they expect to be surrounded by stupid people because, you know, typically they are. Um, but the Google security Titan key, they said, is proof how they can do security and prevent all hacks, prevent all kinds of... Um, 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 leaked passwords and everything. They haven't had a single person's device or network be exploited once they did this Titan key, which is nothing more than a secure USB token. It's a different type of ID. But on the EE Times and other people have reported, Google is looking at creating what they call a silicon root of trust, which is a very fancy way basically of saying Google is looking at helping people make dedicated chips geared towards security in the open title uh, Titan model. It's what they call it. Um, I love companies that really have nothing to win except for just name recognition by pushing these kind of open technologies and especially dedicated chips towards security because physical security is always the game changer when it comes to these kind of things. And even like with the Chromebook, if you try to even manipulate the operating system locally, you're going to lose, even though you have physical access to it. This open Titan is trying to give that kind of basic security to all kinds of devices as well. And I honestly want this kind of thing to be successful. Well, it's interesting we're going down this road too, because well, two of the talks during the conference uh, dealt with zero trust which uh, is uh, setting up your IEM or identity management system to uh, actually do checks on the platform and what's coming in. And it's interesting because it's basically changing the way we authenticate to our applications now. So uh, there's a lot of work on this. And it, it's funny you mentioned the part about where you know Google uh, treats uh, people like they're idiots. The, the gentleman that actually uh, was giving us the demonstration, you would have sworn, had there been an user in the crowd, he would have sought this guy out just to murder him in public. I have never seen uh, a group so or a person so dedicated to vilifying the end user. It was almost embarrassing. But anyway, uh, I digress. Actually, before we go too much further, um, should we hit up the letter for a uh, listener? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'll do the honors um, since apparently it's, it's the thing I want to do. Um, basically, this one comes from Rain. It says, uh, kind host. I just wanted to explain what you said in regards to podcasters not mentor mentioning they listen to other podcasts. It's always rubbed me the wrong way when podcasters pretend like other podcasts do not exist and are reluctant to mention names any unless it relates directly to them. Maybe it's just me, but I've always believed that podcasting, especially in the Libre software space, is all about 
community. If it was not for podcasters sharing other podcasters, I would not have found some of my favorite shows I look forward to every week, this show included. Also, Dor, I would like to apologize for never emailing before now. You were absolutely right when you said people should write into shows they listen to for a few episodes before. It's the only way for things to grow. Hopefully you'll be able to make it to the Ohio Linux Fest next year. It is always a treat. Rain. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you very much, Rain. Um, yeah, I will say, A, why don't you tell us some other podcasts that you listen to, Rain? Um, B, I like live, breathe, and bleed podcast. Um, and what I mean by that is literally I subscribe to over 150 podcasts. Uh, on the average day, I listen to anywhere from 20 to 36 hours worth of podcast every day. Um, so that's what I do. I mean, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. I don't watch Marvel this. I don't watch any of that. Cops, I don't watch none of that. I don't watch news. It's all garbage. Um, but like right after the show last week, me and Bruce were just, you know, finishing up chatting, chatting. And then one of the things that, that I mentioned to him, just because that's what I do, was a podcast called You Are Not So Smart. Um, I feel like if I don't tell people about interesting things that I listen to, then why am I listening to them? Oh, uh, you know, I love the podcast. Actually, after looking through it, I just I love the approach. And, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, it's definitely self-cating, but I'm mean, not deprecating um the word i'm looking for uh self-effacing i guess very humble in the approach of it and uh i like those casts uh, especially when you learn things that you would never have really thought of uh, unless of course you stumbled upon it like by accident but this was a great call so uh yeah if folks a chance to i suggest it if you want something that's not uh work safe or uh, uh even um pc i would suggest legion of skanks legion of skanks that's a good name i will say that um yeah and i will say this you're not so smart i don't want to say it's self-insulting because it really isn't it's just honest and the honest truth is the average person has average intelligence and we're all just average people there are certain things I know that other people don't know. That doesn't make me smart because there are things that everyone else knows that I don't know. That doesn't make me stupid. It just makes me average. Now, I wanted to follow that up because I thought you actually had it. Oh, here it is. Your first contribution to open source, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Um, imposter syndrome is a very, I'll say, interesting thing. Um, one of the things that I don't think that we do well as a community is set realistic expectations for people um we we make it sound like everything is so easy everything is so simple what is what is wrong with you kind of mentality and this was a really good link um about how the when this person got into lennox they had a very difficult time understanding why they had such a difficult time um contributing to open source and it's because um i i want to say the actual cognitive bias that goes on is called the curse of knowledge and with the curse of knowledge we take for granted that other people know things that we know even though we learn things through experiences like how to go through a uh ecosystem whether it be github or whether it be bug 
Zilla or other ecosystems, we had to learn how to go through those systems. But after we learn how to go through those systems, we just assume everyone knows how to go through those systems, uh, which makes onboarding is the word I'll use for new people. Not easy. Well, I also think it's how they go, um, how some of the other distros are too, because I, I honestly believe that if you're setting up a distribution and you are expecting the public to use it, I would expect you to have one person who would act as kind of a liaison to the project, who is open, who is readily available to the public for any questions they may have, and actually ease them into the project. Because, for example, uh, yeah, I got hepped up on the fact that you know CentOS 8 was coming out, and I was figuring, you know what, I'm going to do something different. This, I'm really going to make a difference, and I contribute this time. So what I did is I went to their page just to see how I could help out. And, you know, they list all these different things. The problem is this. You know, uh, I, I can't code. I don't do it. I can learn it, which I should. Um, but it's the entry levels into these that makes it so difficult because there is no way to ease on it. For example, they say they, they're okay with, you know, folk make with documentation. It's like, that's fine. Where do you start? You know, those are the things that I think make it really difficult for the average person to feel they can, you know, adequately tribute. I mean, money is one thing, too, you know, and of course you can't overlook that. But I genuinely think there are a lot of people like when I first all got into this, it was how can I help? And over the years, I almost just said, eh, you know what? They clearly don't need my help. I'm not interested. I'm not going to bother anymore. And I think that, that that has to be corrected somewhere. There have been some wonderful projects over the years that have tried to address that. Um, I believe, uh, what is it? Um, uh, the one uh, Sheesh Loria opened up, Opatch, that was one. But that started to turn a little bit over the years, too. So, I mean, again, these are, these are uh, I don't know what the answer is right now. Well, I'll say, like, the only constant is change with everything. Um, one thing that I think a lot of organizations, people do extremely poorly is onboarding. Onboarding is a under a under a um a appreciated talent um the people who are really good at onboarding um it, it, if i'm talking like trains and transport they're the people who are always standing by the door to get people on the train they're not working on the engine they're not working in the boiler room they're not doing anything underneath the train or on top they're just standing by the doorway which means that they don't actually understand everything going on on the train they just focus on onboarding and that is not an easy task and honestly it's an almost thankless task um if we in open source were better at onboarding then we need to have people who are dedicated to not understanding how to code not understanding how to do documentation not understanding how to make ISOs, not understanding how to get funding, not understanding how to make Git repositories or anything like that, but just understanding of how to be nice and cordial to somebody, to welcome them in, to discuss with them how they could help, and then know who to point them to. And that's all that person needs to know. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, 
onboarding, I think, is one way that we in open source can differentiate ourselves from other industries because there is no onboarding onto Microsoft or Oracle. No, no. You go and you go for an interview and then you have to work your butt off and you have to learn everything on your own or pay somebody to teach you how to learn the thing. And even then, you have to basically pay with blood, sweat, and tears to be accepted in those inner circles. With open source, it, it we need to make it easier than that. Oh, no, and I agree. Uh, now, I do know there had been some attempts in the past because one of the districts, I can't remember if it was Fedora, uh, had something called Front Desk, and that was everybody who comes comes into the distro goes to them, and then they direct traffic. But again, uh, I, I'm not sure what happened that. Um, and, you know, maybe that's actually something I could look at week for next week as well. I should check in with each one of the – I'll grab just a handful of distros because, obviously, um, if I try to do all of them, we don't have time for all, what, 300 active ones. So let, let me see what I can come up with, and I will report back. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a whole lot of them. Um, I will say if people out there know of any organization, any organization involving computing, technology, accessibility, uh, infrastructure, floss, operating systems, anything that does good onboarding in air quotes, let us know. And I do think you're right. I do think it was Fedora that had front desk and I don't know what happened to it, but I, I haven't heard about it. I'll say for like four years. Um, we need to find ways to share correct onboarding procedures because uh, it, it isn't getting any easier with time because there's always new generations of people who just don't know nothing, but then they hear something and they want to know more. And we have to make it easier for them to, uh, you know, find their way. Now, you mentioned accessibility, and I wanted to very quickly go off on a quick tangent at work. Um, I had training for the last days, and so the first day of training, I went into the wrong classroom, but I sat down instead of making noise just to watch it, and it happened to be a training about accessibility and making your web designs uh, you know, more accessible to the outside world. And the things that I saw in there would make Jonathan roll over in his grave. He's not dead, but um, just the things that, you know, they they promoted with, uh, you know, Jaws and all of this stuff making. It's like, yeah, they'll they'll be able to be, uh, you know, active, uh, you know, participants in the workforce. You know, I think somebody needs to show them what the real numbers are and how, uh uh, you know, even the most qualified people, they don't hired. That's the biggest barrier I think a lot of people with disabilities really face, you know, and that has to change. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I will say uh, I'm not important at my job is the way that I put it. I've made it a point to not be important. In my job, my job security comes that I give everything away and I could die tomorrow. And everything I did will keep running. I don't want to be that guy. They need me. They really need me. I don't want to be that guy. Um, but like last week, I made it very clear to a team of executives that Domino's Pizza lost a very critical lawsuit. And I believe it was Supreme Court that ruled on this, that stated everything public facing on the public Internet needs to be ADA compliant. 
which means if someone is blind, they have to be able to navigate your website and function with it. If they, you know, can't use their arms and legs, we have to have systems in place for them to be able to use the computer. You know, if they're deaf, we have to be able to, there's all these things we have to make sure that are on our public facing website as a government institution or else we will be held accountable. And then I stated the whole kicker is with accessibility to be accessible just means to be not incompetent when you make your web pages. Be complete when you make them. Do your due diligence to dot your I's, cross the T's, and put in things called alt text. And then you're like 90% of the way there. And that's all you got to do. Right. All right. Well, I didn't mean to uh, hijack it. I'll tell you what. Why don't we uh, Why don't we start back at the uh, top of our list and begin uh, our journey for the rest of the show? Um, so one of the things you'd sent me was the uh, link to uh, the emerging OS, which is uh, Kai os uh the light operating system for smart feature phones uh and of course the one they're using here is the i'm going to guess it's the geo phone the jio phone and the nokia which never dies 8110 yeah see i never heard of this is what i'm going to say but i honestly mm-hmm, i i almost heard about it is what i'm going to say um, on Android and iOS applications, there is an application called Zender, X-E-N-D-E-R, X-E-N-D-E-R. You load the application, and then what you find out is it literally has in excess of 10 million installs all over the world. What it is, it's an application that lets you easily transfer anything from phone to phone, even if it's an installed application, as long as it's not you know guarded by whole bunch of restrictions, you can literally be out in the middle of nowhere, okay, with no cell reception at all and walk up to somebody and say, you have an Android phone, I have an Android phone, here, let me send you this application. And you can literally transfer installed applications from one to another or media or text files or whatever right there in the interface. And right in the interface, one of the things it said was, send this to a Kai phone. And I'm like, well, what the hell's a Kai phone? So then I go and look it up. K a i o s it's basically you know not in the first world kind of phone jio is the hardware manufacturer it looks like and it's a true is the only way i can put it a true linux based phone hard stop okay everyone talking about the uh, um purism phone being the first linux phone congratulations you're an idiot Congratulations, you're a moron, and you're completely ignorant about everything going on outside of your filter bubble of weirdness. And weird, by weird, I mean W period, E period, uh, I period, R period, D period, which means Western, educated, industrial, rich, democratic. You're in that bubble. Everybody outside that bubble has had a Linux phone for a while. You're so stupid, people out there. Um, I'm really tempted to try to get one of these phones just to play with it because it has Linux on it. Um, because Bruce said, you know, he doesn't have a smartphone. And honestly, the next generation of smartphones are going to have a lot to compete with because the Linux, quote unquote, smartphones are starting to make headway. Um, and I'm really interested to see in two to three years where these phones are going to be at because I'm pretty sure that their functionality is going to I don't want to say be competitive, but they're actually going to start to meet people's needs. 
Well, one of the things uh, that I was impressed with that uh, I did click the link to go to the site just to see what it is, and there's a uh, uh, like a minute thirty second video explaining what their their goals are, and I love it. I love the philosophy what they're trying to do. They're trying to be the great equalizer in this. They're targeting some of the poor countries that may not have the best uh, phone infrastructure, um, but it's allowing them to act as you know. Uh, gives them the ability to, you know, share out documents, uh, you know, just communications is just vitally important in these places. And for a place that's not built to handle this kind of infrastructure, you have a device that actually acts as sort of an equalizer to offset the shortcomings of your surroundings. And, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons why I think, um, maybe somebody will get it one day that the more inclusive you are, the more chance you have of actually, um, well, let's face it, a lot of folks are just trying to make money on this, but um, I think the idea here is, you know, get people hooked up first, then money should follow afterwards. I like what they're trying to do. Well, I'll say I agree with you. A huge percentage of people out there are literally just trying to make money. But without, I, I believe this is a pure cognitive bias. If you want to know more about cognitive biases, look up You're Not So Smart. And they'll fill you in. Um, I believe we live in, a honestly, a special time where, yes, there are more billionaires than ever. Yes, capitalism is, you know, pretty rampant right now. Um, but I also believe we also have the highest number of people right now trying to do what they consider to be the greater good. Um and getting the other people in air quotes connected is a very, very important thing. Um, the two ways you can easily measure a person's success in life or a culture's success in life is twofold. One, how educated are the women in the culture? Uh, that is a definite indicator of how successful that culture is going to be, how much freedom they have and how much riches they will obtain. But the second measure is how much do they communicate with others? How much are they in isolation? Getting people connected with these devices, smart devices, is how we can get the other, you know, 3 billion people up to basically our speed. And I'm a firm believer, the more people that have access to what I have access to is better for everybody in the end. Um, and without sounding dumb, um, I literally did not watch the video and I said to Bruce when I saw this link, here's how they're going to get the next billion people connected. And I watched the video and it says, here's how the next billion people are going to get connected. Um, and, and I love competition. I love disruptive competition. And this to me looks like a really kind of thing where if they just go slow and steady with this KaiOS and with their level of hardware, uh, what they're going to find is a lot of people's needs can be met. Even if you don't have a thousand dollar phone running a proprietary operating system with closed sourced binary blobs on it that allow other federal governments ease of access right into your living room kind of thing. So I want to see this type of thing just be more and more successful. And I want to find out if it's at all compatible on U.S. networks, because if it is, I'm literally tempted to try to get one. Well, my main concern, too, is the applications that get put on it because um, I've got a uh, device here at home, a Lenovo tablet that I got uh, four years ago, actually almost five, 
it works fine. It's powered. The battery life is great. It still gets uh, internet connection. I, I can barely use any applications anymore because uh, you know the I, the OS is long outdated. So I think that's the one challenge I hope figure out. You know, uh, a way to carry applications to the versions as time goes on, and hopefully it doesn't. Uh, it's not a remarkable change over time. Yeah, and I would hope this has some okay browser support is the way I would put it. Because even if it has just okay browser support, um, then you should be able to run a lot of things. And it does mention U, U, UC browser, which I do believe is on multiple platforms. Um, I do believe it's a Chromium-based browser. Um, and I say this because the real thing is next week, I'm going to make sure to let Bruce know that when the Pine Phone goes up for pre-order, Pine Phone is... A hundred dollar, I believe at the peak it was 125, but I think it's a hundred dollar 5.6 inch smartphone, but it's running Linux, pure Linux on it. Um, they're going to pre order next week. I don't believe it's actually going to be shipped till maybe January. Um, but it's the kind of thing I really do think it's going to be insanely popular. Um, I just want the again disruption when it comes to these, uh, devices well i'm also gonna have to check my aarp membership to make sure that i'm eligible for it i understand um one of the things i wanted to take out of order really quick uh bruce was you also mentioned last week about uh wanting to uh get into the um raspberry pi type ecosystems but i was hoping you didn't because i actually want to like cut you off on it um, because down below, like three or four links deeper, um, there was a link there to Diet Pie. Um, and this is a very interesting distribution. I'll put it this way. It's a Debian-based distribution with a lot of polish on top of it. And when I say polish on top of it, I don't mean graphical prettiness on top of it, but functionality on top of the base operating system. Uh, if you go to Diet Pie, uh dietpie.com sorry uh and then if you just go to like the uh, uh software features what you'll see is a it, it's a pretty long list of software that you can very easily one click quote unquote install uh into this ecosystem um and what you'll see is um under the features uh dietpie software you will see a lot of software ranging from of course, your your normal like desktops, uh, Mate, LXQE, LXDE, XFCE, or you could have it just as like a server-based operating system running things like uh, um, Air, uh, Sonic, Subsonic, RealVNC, XRDP, um, Air, um, AirPlay, Plex, and it um, Mumble, Murmur. Um, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. But here's the real gimmick, Bruce. If you go back to dietpie.com and you click on downloads, and this is one thing, um, I've only heard now two podcasts mention this. Uh, one of them was Nightwise podcast just mentioned this, but like over a year ago, if you go to their download section and you go all the way down, what you'll notice is there's a VMware and there's a virtual box version of this. So if you want to, you can literally install this in a VM, get it configured how you want, 
inside of DietPy running DietPy dash launcher. You can then through an curses interface, you can do a backup. You can back up your configuration and then you can basically put this on a Raspberry Pi, hit DietPy dash launcher and do a restoration and you have everything exactly how you want it configured and away you go. And it also has native PC and UEFI installs. So if you want to install this on bare metal desktops or laptops or bags or beige boxes or old computers, if you want, you can basically get the exact same functionality out of that kind of computer. And then again, do a diet pie backup, put it on a raspberry Pi four and do a restore or a, a Raspberry Pi 3 or 2 or whatever, and restore that exact application ecosystem with very, very little issues. This, to me, is one of the best playground ecosystems I think I've ever seen, Bruce. You know, I got to tell you, this is one of the things where when you hang out with somebody long enough, I am literally right on the beach, and I'm looking at VirtualBox as you mention it. That's hilarious and scary. Well, you know, it is what it is. It even has... Hyper Hyper V from Microsoft support. Um, and then just as, as a really quick tangent, the Raspberry Pi 4 with four gigs of RAM is a very functional device. Okay, I will say that. The community support, second to none. But if you just look up above where it says VMware and native, you'll see two boards there that are honestly really, really impressive. One is the Rock 64, one is the Rock Pro 64. Both of them have what's called an RK3399 processor, which is almost insane how powerful it is, but how affordable it is. Uh, the Rock 64 is, I want to say, $55, which is like $4 more than the Raspberry Pi. The Rock Pro 64 also has um, a, um, a full slot for um, uh, like uh, even graphics cards kind of thing you can fit in this. Uh, thing. These mini boards are a little bit crazy. As I want to say it has a PCIe 4X slot on it. Um, and what you can do with Diet Pie, I will say, is anything you can think of. So the question is, is buy off of this site? Sorry? Can I buy these boards right off the site? No, no, no. Uh, you can go and see, and I do see, you're thinking I'll say the right way, Bruce. You come here, you, you can install this on an x86 board, you can find out what you like about it. You can come back here. You can see the downloads, and then you can get the names of boards you like and then research and buy them. I will say inside the United States, one of my favorite websites to go to is Ameridroid, A-M-E-R-I-D-R-O-I-D-E. They are the official U.S. Dis distributor for more than a couple of these mini computers, and their shipping is literally like two to three days. They're so quick. Um, I'll say this to you and to any listener out there. If you want to buy one of these, uh, single board computers and you don't know where to buy it from, don't hesitate, shoot me an email and I'll tell you where my best experience has been. Cause I've bought, you know, everything from like the friendly arm computers from Korea, the raspberry Pis, um, the rock 64s, the pine 64s, uh, the ups boards. I mean, I have bought so many of them. I know where to buy them from. Oh, make sure this link de definitely makes it into the note. This is an awesome site. Yeah, and it's very, and I, with that sound dumb, it's a very mature ecosystem because it's backboned by Debian. 
Um, a lot of people, I'll say this, more than a couple of people I know besmirch the fact that this is Debian-based. And why can't it be RPM-based? Well, because Debian is completely free and open, and by Debian standard, for you to be involved in any official Debian package, your package has to compile for something like 20 different chipset architectures. They're the only distribution that has that in their like bylaws. So if you can compile something for a genuine Fedora-based system, it only needs to be compilable on like x86, and that's it. With Debian, they do things a little differently. Well, it goes back to the all-inclusive, and uh, that's certainly what they are. Uh, this is actually great. I think I just got paid last week, too, so maybe this is what I do for Project in the upcoming weeks. Well, the best thing about having money is I'll help to spend it. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, in this country, there's one thing we are good at is spending money. Um Another link I want to talk about really quick, Bruce, because I know we've been going a little bit. Um, uh, it was a couple down from beta news. Uh, it basically said, um, sorry, Microsoft, but your Edge browser will never be installed on my Linux computer. Um, are, are you aware what's going on with the uh, Microsoft Edge browser? No. Well, the long story short is a couple years ago, they admitted IE was completely garbage and we need to get rid of it. Okay, uh, so then they said, we're going to come up with this new browser called Edge. And, you know, they broke some things. They didn't go with some standards and they have their browser and it kind of works. And then they had to retrofit a lot of stuff in and then they had to make sure that it was compatible. And then they finally, just about four or five months ago, decided, okay, we're just going to throw the entire engine away and get rid of it. And then we're going to rebase a new browser based upon Chromium. So now, moving forward, the official browser installed in Microsoft operating systems is going to be a Chromium-based browser called Edge. Um, I will say the number of installs of Chrome on Windows computers is so insane. This, to me, is like the only way that they can try to stop the bleeding, if you will, by doing this, because... If it is, you know, Chromium based and they don't break a lot of things, I can see people having a Microsoft operating systems and just being okay with the default browser. Well, I think, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, as with a, sorry. Um, and one of the things Microsoft did say early when they made this announcement was they would also make sure that this edge browser would be available for Windows, Mac, and Linux installs. Hmm. Well, good luck with that. Um, my problem that I had, so, all right. Um, well, all right, let's start off with Edge. So in my last position where uh, I was managing deployment team, our, um, you know, our bare image uh, brings down Edge uh, by default. And what was really interesting is that, you know, a majority of our, our customers do not use uh, IE because we gave up on that a long time ago. It, it couldn't even conform to the web standards for our applications. So, you know, all of our customers were encouraged to use Chrome or um, Firefox. Firefox actually has been the long stand, uh, you know, browser here. 
Interestingly enough, what happened this time around is that with Windows 10, because uh, Edge is the primary default browser, um, what was interesting is that, uh, only to confirm what we already knew, is that when folks tried to access their applications, because when you know they tried to bring up some of their old bookmarks, uh, uh, it just simply does not work today for us. And... You know, uh, I, I don't understand why, for something so simple, Microsoft still just butchers a browser. And if they want to make it to be all things to everyone, that they, they really need to do a better job at this. Uh, I don't know what their goals are at point. I do know that it's it's only based a fee base for uh, um, for Office, and you know, down the road, I know they have. Uh, you know, their uh, sites set on also charging us for the OS down the road as well. But browser is something that I just think they need to abandon at this point. It's it's a useless, worthless product. Well, I'll agree with you. And I think that's almost what this is, is, look, we'll just use the Chromium base and we'll just, you know, put a little interface on top of it and then we're done. We're not going to do any more work. Um, I will say... Microsoft understands a couple things. One, they understand um, that, you know, Azure is going to be a good way for them to make money. They also understand Office 365, uh, re, re, um, re, oh, re, oh, um, oh, occurring subscriptions is another way to make them money. And I actually had a Microsoft employee tell me about a week and a half ago. The reason why everyone likes a monthly subscription model or a yearly or whatever sub um, the model is, as far as the investors are concerned or as far as the board is concerned, every time you sign somebody up, it doesn't matter if it's for $5 a month or $50 a month, they all say it equates to infinite money because we now have that person as a customer for the rest of their lives, unless we mess it up. So it almost doesn't matter how much they charge, as long as they can get people to sign up to give us future money. Um, he said, Microsoft believes future money is 10 times more important than whatever money we got today. Um, and I'll say this last week, they announced uh, the it's now open to where you can get visual studio ide inside of a browser um the long and the short of it is bruce i will say this there are versions of visual studio professional not enterprise because i believe professional is one higher that literally cost six thousand dollars a month per seat um subscription models are where these companies really want to position everything that they do well hmm. I'm not going to dump all over Visual Visual Studios because I actually like it. Um, uh, um, but uh, I, I'm not paying for the uh, Pro version either. Uh, I actually installed it the other day just to see what it would look like as a uh, Python compiler. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's slick, actually. So I'll leave you, I'll leave you with that. I have to be, let's face it, 
we also have to be honest in what our assessments are of it. And if this is one of the few things that works, I, I have to say it works. You know, uh, I don't like Microsoft, and uh, but I mean, let's face it, uh, I work in an environment that doesn't give me a choice. All right. Well, I have to ask you, which version of Visual Studio did you install? Uh, this is just the basic one that's available. Actually, it's even in the repository. Well, yeah, because there's Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio Community, Video Studio, the and then the year. Then there's Visual Studio Enterprise, Visual Studio Professional. There's literally like six versions, which is why I think they want to go to this browser-based version that can basically condense them all to just one. Mm, yeah, uh, well, I'm guessing it's some kind of community version. But again, I'll uh, I'll circle back with that one. Well, Visual Studio Code, I'll say this, when you load up Visual Studio Code, the biggest difference to me is on the left-hand side, you have basically buttons um, right there that are bigger than your normal kind of thing. It's like a vertical toolbar all the way on the left-hand side. And the very bottom one is like your settings and features and add-ons. That to me is the biggest way to identify the versions. And um, I equally despise Microsoft. Given a chance, I'm pretty sure I'd drive a van through the front of their building, but I digress. <laughs> part of me thinks, part of me thinks, you know, how they came into our ecosystem. They contributed code to the Linux kernel. They did all these things to basically wiggle their way into our ecosystems. Why don't we feel equally okay in installing Visual Studio Code uh, using GitHub? to basically infiltrate their systems with our methods, with our morals, with our ethics. Um, I think we have to become more comfortable with doing that back to them. Uh, actually, there's an article that addresses that. Uh, there was an interview with Torvalds uh, roughly three weeks ago, I believe, and um, they were talking about uh, the future and what they see with the partnership of Microsoft and Linux, and um, a lot of developers for the uh, kernel um, have no concerns whatsoever about Microsoft invading. In fact, if anything, um, it's Microsoft that has to watch out because it's ultimately them who actually stand the risk of being consumed by Linux code. So I'll, I'll be curious. I'll, obviously, I've made a statement I'm going to have to back up, so I'll have to find that. Well, and I'll say this, part of me believes when Linus says things, half of it is things that he like believes w was happening, but half of it, I believe, are things that he wants to happen. Um, like he said, like uh, about four or five months ago, you know, the reason why x86 is ruling everywhere, including the server room, is because when developers develop they develop on x86 computers and it, which he's right but i think part of the reason he said that was to challenge people to come out with arm based ecosystems that you could develop on um but he didn't want to say it like that because you know he just wanted to say look the reason why arm is losing is because you can't develop on it um now we have things like the pine book pro we you know we're getting stuff like the pine tab um we uh Microsoft literally has computers that have arms based processors. Um, I think, you know, part of it is um, he's trying to dictate what the future will be. And part of it is just like warning people what it could be. 
Oh, I think that's an acceptable answer. Uh, you know, and I'm thinking about as we're talking about this, you know, why uh, folks actually don't use more Linux machines at work because uh, especially developers, um, I know that they're usually presented with a uh, a MacBook for such things. But, you know, when the day is done, I think what has to happen here is that a lot of IT shops have to start getting on board with assisting with Linux. And I know it's fear of the unknown, which is one of the reasons why they don't support it. Um, in fact, uh, the university I work with made a, a, a conscious decision three years ago to no longer make Linux available to the students. And that's just dumb. That's just dumb. Um, because there are so many Linux OSs out there that could easily, you know, fit a student's needs easily. And we've discussed them all. Yeah, I, I'll say at my job, I believe developers don't use Linux because they can't deploy to Linux. They have to deploy to Windows. And I think it's like, dare I say, trickle down. If we're if all of our servers that we're deploying to are Windows, well, then we should develop on Windows as well. And I'd say my place has taken that so like like almost violently down was at one point in time they said look all of our production computers out in the field have this display resolution all of our developers workstations need to have that same display resolution which meant that none of our developers could even have dual monitors one with high resolution, one with low to develop on kind of thing. All of our developers had to develop on the same resolution that all of their customers were using, which I'm sure made development like 10 times more painful. Oh, holy cow. Because there's only one size of screen, right? <laughs> well, I will say it's painfully obvious that decision was made by someone who really doesn't understand how computers work. And that would have been awesome if he had, you know, maybe like a 29-inch screen while everybody else had like a 12. Yeah, it was definitely pretty bad. Um, well, we've been going on for about an hour now, Bruce. Is there anything that you want to uh, bring up? Actually, I'm very curious on the one that you had, IRC for DMs. I will say uh, that one caught me off guard just a little bit. And basically what it is is... Um, you know, we have all these different tools out there. We have all these different ecosystems out there. Um, and he basically like gives like a rundown on the different types of applications. What are the pluses and minuses to them? WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, Matrix Riot, Slack, Delta Chat, Discord, on and on and on and on. And what he basically was like, you know, I don't understand why we're all just not using IRC and private messages back and forth for dms um it's obviously from a nerds per um per um uh uh perspective the main reason i wanted to bookmark this was because i still haven't had a chance to try matrix or riot matrix or riot is okay matrix is used in certain department of defense homeland security infrastructures and NSA infrastructures because of its security is what I'm going to say. It's insane level of security. Uh, but I was actually not, not had a chance to use it. And I was discouraged by uh, their use of riot said that it was slow. And at times messages would not send. And at times messages would not be received. If there's ever a killer 
in these kinds of messaging apps that will make you not use them is literally if you have to type a message and it doesn't send, why the hell are you using the messaging application? Um, I will say there is a simplicity and elegance to IRC. There's a reason it's still around. There's a reason it's still used. There's a reason like it's stable. There's a, you know, it just works. Um, I, will say I like IRC. I wish I had more time to devote to actually communicating with people, but um, yeah, they're going to keep using it. Oh, I love IRC. I, I just wish that, you know, the community could be a little bit more active. Um, at work, we use Slack, and I actually enjoy Slack a lot. Um, they're trying to force them on us, but luckily our CIO is not on board with it. So we don't, we actually get the choice <laughs> Slack, uh, or, uh, teams. So, uh, needless to say, um, Slack will win hands down for me, but, um, uh, do you tend to have IRC on during work? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, the main reason I can't have IRC on is the same reason I can't be on Twitter. Um, I cannot be a part of a thing that moves at a speed where I'll miss things. I have to read everything. So with like IRC with all, all cast planet kind of channel, I, I can't be in the channel at all because if I miss what's being said, I will like have a nervous breakdown kind of thing. So all the chats that I'm in are so slow. It's literally insane. Bruce is what I'm going to say. Um, I use Teams on a daily basis because I have to. Um, Slack is beautified IRC, essentially, with some integrations in with other applications. Um, I'm not a fan of chat applications, is what I'll say, uh, but I use whatever other people use because the hardest thing with all these applications are is to get people who aren't in them in them. So you always got to go where other people oh, are. Oh, yeah. Yep. Huh. All right. Well, that's... Uh... I guess that's all I needed to away from that. Yeah, I will say I still, after all these years, I still have not set up the proper IRC ecosystem, which is I have my server running at home connected to IRC, and then I use other applications to remote into that session so I never have to miss things and I can be notified if someone says my names kind of thing. Um, I don't know if I ever will do that kind of setup, but I will say it does seem more and more tempting as time goes on. Yeah, well, one of the great things about Slack is that actually is a notification you can set on uh, the application that when you're mentioned in a conversation, uh, you're actually notified immediately. That's a double-edged sword. Oh, yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we've had a good round today. Absolutely. Um, I will say to everyone again, if you want to send us an email uh, podcast at Linux for the rest of us, I will say rain brought up an issue where if you're, if you don't come from a truly trusted domain, you might have an issue sending us an email. Uh, rain actually pinged me on Reddit in a private message and just asked, you know, is there another way I can send you an email? Um, if you have an issue sending an email, you can do one of like three things. You can go to podnuts.com and click on contact us. Uh, emails through there will almost always come through. Um, so that's one way to do it. Uh, you can try to contact me on other platforms. That's another way to do it. Or you can send me an email at doordoorgeek at gmail.com and just put in the subject line podcast at Linux for the rest of us. And I know who the e email is supposed to go to. Um, also, don't forget if you want to send us a voicemail, 
It's very easy to send us a voicemail. You can either call up 7076-PODNUT, or you can literally just record audio on your computer, laptop, phone, tablet, or anything, and just send us that in. We can play them live on the show. Uh, this was broadcast, I'll say, on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Linux for the rest of us. Um, do you have any uh, parting words for everyone? No, Bruce? I don't. I mean, have a great week. I think uh, we're, like I said, we're entering the the food eating season. So uh, hopefully, we have some recipes for next week too. Oh yeah, I got, my wife thinks I'm kidding when I tell her when I retire from my nine to five, which is about six years away from now, I literally might take cooking chef type classes and like open up some kind of service you know i don't want to say a restaurant but some kind of service where i cook and she thinks i'm kidding and i'm, I'm oh, not tell me breakfast place because that's exactly what i'm going to do i'm sick food around here yeah i mean breakfast food i'll say this is the easiest not to mess up and the most um i uh you just literally just, just put cheese on it, it and everyone absolutely loves and make sure you use the real bacon not any of that fair see-through stuff that and plenty exactly. of butter. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much, Bruce. Uh, we will talk to everyone again in about a week, and I beg everyone to never, ever, ever forget whether it's a KaiOS phone, whether it's a Purism phone, or whether it's a laptop that you got from a thrift store. If you do not have root, you really, really do not know who does. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you again real soon.